Ready, Dave? of music out there everywhere from Australia to Austria. This is good. Don't Let's Start, a podcast about They Might Be Giants. And uh, I think uh, this is going to be a, a special episode, Dave, because, oh, I'm Jordan mm-hmm. and this is my co-host. Dave Fox. Dave Fox. The Fox is back. It's almost like I never left. Yeah, Dave's been here since the last episode. Just I've wait, just been just in waiting, your room waiting, yeah. Just tapping his fingers on the table. I think we're all ready, though. Yes, so this episode is about... Flood. Flood. It's a big one. You didn't this, think we'd do it, did you? Yeah. You so, jokers. Yeah, so I, I think there might be a lot of new people listening because I notice as I follow the hashtags on social media... And to those people, we say, start over. Yeah. From the first episode. <laughs> Turn this off now. This will self-destruct. And yeah, a flood seems to be the one that gets the most like Instagram posts and all that stuff. For one reason or another, Flood is, is like a, a hugely popular album for them. Well, I think it's for three reasons. Well, okay. We'll talk about those <laughs> reasons. Flood is an album that maybe uh, more people have heard Flood and not heard the other albums. Yes. Than fans like us who just listen to everything that they do right and beyond everything that they do everything that they've even touched right you know we'll just listen to like someone who knows someone who knows them <laughs> right <laughs> even tangential relations to them we yeah, wanna, yeah yeah we want to check out getting that world yeah so for all you for you floodies <laughs> that's that's, <laughs> that's like sorry it's like a that's like a slur <laughs> against um floodite i like that like luddite yeah, well, I can go into this a little bit, actually. So on, on the old news group back in the day, and I like to talk about the old news group because it's a huge part of my being a They Might Be Giants fan. Yeah, I like to listen. Yeah. Um, so Dave was never a big computer nerd. No. Um, <laughs> I, around junior high and high school, I, I got really swept up in the in the They Might Be Giants news group. And I know a few people from there listen to the show and have emailed us. Hey, guys. The, t- the term floody was kind of, was really this like kind of derogatory slur against, a, a, I guess what would be seen. Oh, that's a real thing? Yeah. I'm not oh. Gonna... <laughs> Ooh. Dave, so most of the things I say are real things. I'm sorry to break it to you. Um, that's the opposite of me. Uh, <laughs> Go on. Yeah. So it, it's kind of is like a term for someone who's like only knows flood and-, and <laughs> Like a townie? <laughs> yeah. And they, so they might like post a, a post being like, do they have any other albums besides Flood or, right, you know, sure, or like, sure. or, or like they'll make a big faux pas, like, I love their first album, Flood, you know. Yeah. But look, we're here to say we welcome you. Yeah. I don't give a shit. Come, come in. Come into my bedroom. Come in. Where we are. I'll turn down the lights. I don't listen. It's getting a little, yeah. I don't care if someone makes a mistake. Nobody's perfect. I mean, that's a dumb thing to say, but I wouldn't be like, get the fuck out of if, here. If you're a fan of They Might Be Giants and, and you love Flood and you don't know much about their music, uh, stick with us. We're, we're going to steer you the right way. Uh, we will yeah, def- they have other albums. <laughs> we'll definitely refer to, to their yeah. other songs. But also, I, I do want to say, uh, if you like the band in general, but you're just hearing about this episode because it's a, a Flood episode, go back, listen to our other episodes. I think this is a good podcast, um, despite uh, the I give it first a B few minutes minus. of this one. <laughs> yeah. And um, we are going to get into Flood. But you know, Flood is a really good album, so no, yeah. it's okay that that's what they like. <laughs> that's the actually a huge point I wanted to make. So what, what happened, uh, you know, I would say maybe tail end of 89, 
is they might be trying to get signed to Electra Records. Electra. They had... The same record label as Metallica. <laughs> Just saying. Yeah. Um, so Dave tracks Metallica's career parallel <laughs> yes. to as we're tracking They Might Be Giants Absolutely. career on this show. It's kind of like yeah. a little sub-show in the yeah. show. In my brain. Yeah. <laughs> no one can see it. Um, but if that shows you how big Electra is... You know, we can put it in that context. Electra is a huge fucking label. Mm -hmm. So this is a very important move. Yeah. So they signed to Electra because their their first two albums, which are self-titled, it's called They Might Be Giants, and Lincoln came out on Bar None, an indie label, but it's still, I, I don't really understand. I mean, to me, like their first two albums seem very successful in, yeah, in any yeah, context. Yeah. I mean, they had videos on MTV. I guess like when you just get more successful, that stuff seems like small potatoes. But to me, I'm like, hey, I'll take an indie label that puts me on MTV and, well, at this point, and on any college label. stations. Yeah, that's true. Those labels are no more. I sent my, me and Dave are both musicians and I sent, I sent an album we made uh, a few months ago to like a million college stations around the country. And how was the response? Uh, so I Googled my album and there is one station that put it on like a list actually being go. like top 10 new albums this week. So something happened, um, but I, I don't know. Other than that, it's like, it's really out in a void. I might as well throw them in a black hole. You know? I think so. Yeah. So they signed to Elektra. And, and the thing is when a band signs to a major label and does the big worldwide tours and all that, it, there is a fear, oh, is this going to be the same band anymore? Is the fame and the fortune and the the ladies <laughs> and and the drugs gonna get go to their heads? And, and um, it did. And it did. And we're here to condemn John and John because we think they no, uh, they stayed the same humble, <laughs> humble, wonderful guys. I think. How do you feel about being part of Electra Records, uh, being part of a big it's major fine. label now? Has it, has it changed anything for you? Has it made anything different uh, in your life? We well, feel soiled. <laughs> yeah, that's, it's really okay. <laughs> We're dirty all over. I uh, know. It's, it's, well, it's maybe really you got some fine. money in your pocket now, perhaps. Yeah. Well, I mean, we were doing, actually, you know, we, we've been doing pretty well for the past couple of years and just in terms of making money from shows and stuff like that. So I think we were pretty lucky in that we weren't a new band being signed so we didn't have to go through the whole process of having record companies trying to reinvent us you know they kind of wanted to sign us rather than sign our potential uh -huh. you know so there was there was something very um there was a known commodity so i don't think anybody really wanted to mess with it they knew the package they knew yeah, they, they knew what knew, they were buying they knew into. the mistake yeah. they were making <laughs> Their shows didn't change much. I, you know, I've been tracking their live shows too. And the songwriting, as you will know, on Flood is as, you know, I mean, some say it's, it's some of their best stuff. We yeah. can talk about that. But it's, it's, you know, a lot of the songs are from when they were, as we've learned. Yeah, yeah. They are from those same period as when they put out Lincoln. And it's just songs they hadn't gotten to yet or weren't fully fleshed out. And so... There's clearly no um, change in the major label. The only difference, which I, I definitely want to ask Dave's opinions on, is like the production of the album. Yeah. Is definitely like there's certain songs that are like huge productions. Mm -hmm. Well, um, there's more money behind it, but there's, you know, they're still live. They're doing the backing tracks. Follow the money, I'm saying. And they're still a duo. <laughs> yeah. There, there wasn't, like you said, a huge difference. And I mean, even sonically, it's not. Like we've talked about on this show before, I still think the first album sound as good, as big budget as anything out there. Yeah, I've actually had a lot of like changing um, reactions to this because I used to think all the albums just sound good. Mm -hmm. um, after really obsessing over Flood for the past few weeks for this episode, it's like I kind of do hear what they mean when they talk about being in this major studio. Mm -hmm. 
Did things change in terms of actually going into the studio and recording? Were you more free in terms of the time you could spend in the studio? Did you not have financial worries like you may have had in the in the past? Well, we have always had enough money to record in the sense that we just sought out situations where we were free time-wise. You know, we recorded at really inexpensive studios so we could have as much time to record as possible as opposed to going into a really fancy studio for two minutes and getting it done really <laughs> fast, right. you know, which I don't think, I think we realized would never work. So this time we went into a fancy studio and, and relaxed. So we had about the same amount of anxiety. <laughs> I think. Yeah. We expand to fill the available anxiety. Let's talk about flood the album. Uh, it's, it's as a general concept. As a, yeah. As a, <laughs> what Dave, what is an album? Ooh, that's a toughie. Is it about Al, that bum down the street, who's always... Uh, let's just talk about some of the origins of Flood. Yes. Yeah, so Dave, wh- yeah. what do you think about the name of the album, Flood? Like, we're going to start with like the, the very beginning yeah, here. Yeah. What do you think of... So the last album is Lincoln. One word title. I love one word ah, titles for uh, albums. It is true, God damn it. Well, I should tell you, we have this record coming out. It'll be out in January. And we spent the past five years making it. <laughs> It didn't just seem that way. Uh, the record's going to be called Flood. Think about that, Flood. That's the name of the record. I think Flood is a great title for an album. Yeah. Uh, because there's, uh, like They Might Be Giants, many different interpretations of that. Like, it could be a flood of good feelings and love, or it could be like a biblical flood. And yeah. actually, you know, going through the songs, there did seem to be a little bit of a biblical implication in a lot of them. Did you get that? I was definitely noticing there's there's some themes. They Might Be Giants always claim that the, these things are not intentional because they just have a thousand songs. But I do think there's some subconscious, like when they're assembling an album. They've talked about this with a few albums. It's weird because the, when you look for them, the, they're definitely there. Yeah, yeah. I think they're they're trying to tell us to to kill the <laughs> the Pope. Tell me why it's called Flood? Because there's no there is no song called Flood. But is it no. is it like uh is, is Flood the uh, the overflowing? I mean, it's got there's a lot of songs. There's like twenty almost twenty songs on this thing. Natural, it, unstoppable. Is that what it is? Is it's a primal force of nature? They might yeah. Be it just seemed like kind of a good image. We have a I don't know if you have a tape library of a lot of mixed bag things that you just kind of name because you have to give it a name. We make a lot of tapes with a lot of different songs on it, but we d- instead of dating them or numbering them, we just give them names. And we named one thing Flood. And then so when we were trying to think of a name for a record, we just kind of looked at a tape called Flood and said, well, that'd be a good name for a record. I love Flood as a title because it's it's it is an overwhelming album. Yes, and you really do it's feel a flood. it's not just the quantity, but it's like how much they throw at you. <laughs> yeah, in such a short amount of time. So like the second half of Flood goes by really fast. You've mm-hmm. probably noticed, like, because the first half is like all the singles that are like th- almost three minutes uh, long. No, there is, and there's a barrage of. Then there, it's like it's like a rapid fire, like a machine gun yeah. of like little song bullets, little sapphire song sure. song bullets hitting you. And it's just like, whoa, whoa, And I imagine to people who aren't fans of the band, but who love Flood, they're just like, I've never heard anything like this before. And it must be kind of strange. Yeah. I guess I should go back a bit. Um, in our first episode, I brought this up, but our first episodes, you know, you don't have to listen to it. <laughs> so I'll bring it up again. The first, I, I will admit that I, I was a floody. I'm a former floody. Yeah. That's big of you. Yeah, thank you. 
I found the old, an old dubbed cassette of Flood. It was handwritten, so it wasn't the true cassettes or CD or whatever. So I found it in my sister's bedroom, which I did talk about in the first episode. And, yep, and I commented on inappropriately. Yeah, and then I, uh, so I, I popped it into the, her stereo and I was pretty f- taken instantly. I mean, love at first sight is not an exaggeration. To go more into detail, I wasn't a fan of any bands. Yeah. I only really listened to movie soundtracks and stuff. And I didn't really like watch MTV or anything or to the degree that I'd be like, I love this band, mommy. Yeah. <laughs> like it was just wasn't like, I like going to the toy store and buying like stuff about pop culture, but not, mm. not mu- music was like a blind spot. So putting in the flood cassette was the first time where I was like, I got hooked into a musical artist <laughs> that was creating mm. content that was divorced from any pop cultural thing, like a, like a Batman soundtrack. Or Do you a, think that's why they're your favorite band is because that's how you it, yeah. figure out what music is? <laughs> yeah, it's really strange. Like it, 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 they, it, they dug really deep <laughs> into me. So now it, it, for a while, it was just like any other band would just be compared to them. You never forget your first love, Yeah, I think is what you're saying. So like, you know, I got more of a balanced diet of various kinds of bands and music, but for a really long time, it was like They Might Be Giants was number one and there wasn't really a number two for a while um, until like maybe talking to other fans over the years and being like, oh, check out this other band like XTC or bands again, like connected to them and in different ways. Dave, what's your origins with hearing Flood for the first time? What's the context? What did you, what were you wearing? (laughs) Well, as I talked about in that episode also, I think the first one, I don't, I can't really remember what my first album was, but it definitely wasn't Flood because I already had a few albums when Daniel and I and you went to the, uh, the record store there and I was yes. like, ah, should I buy Flood? Is that a, one of their good albums? You know, as far as the indoctrination into their catalog, it must have been, the, I'm sure, uh, Istanbul and... You know, Birdhouse so, and all those songs were yeah. there. So I probably knew those already, maybe even Twistin' or, you know, a couple other ones. Mm. I just didn't know that they were on Flood. I did know Particle Man and Istanbul yeah. from Tiny, Tiny Tunes, and, Tunes, and we're going to get deep into that in a few songs We're going to get now. sexy with Tiny Tunes. We're going to... I think. I think it's going to get pretty erotic. So I'm going to hold that for, for later. I think I'm going to hold that for the Particle Man discussion so that we have both in, in one there. You do you. Do you. But, um, but that, that was the motivation. Like, yeah. oh, I know the songs from this album. And I was really struggling before we did the show to remember if I had seen them on Tiny Tunes first yeah. also. And I'm sure I must have. It's a vivid memory for me is that episode of Tiny Tunes and and instantly liking those songs, but not, again, not in a way where I would be like, hey, mom, could we go yeah. to Sam Goody's and I could buy a They Might Be Giants album, you know? So let's talk about Floods. So let's talk, <laughs> let's talk about the albums. Let's talk about the album art. Oh, the specific Flood that they're talking about. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, should we go really far back for those that don't even know what the cover is? It's, it's a man on a bunch of yeah. fans floating on a river. Uh, was the title there before the sleeve or did you find the very nice picture after you had the title? The title came first. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was actually, it was hell finding the sleeve, actually. Next time I think we're going to come up with a sleeve first and try yeah. to have a title. Yeah, we uh, had all these people searching for this cover. It's actually a photograph by uh, Margaret Bork White, who uh, you might have seen the Farrah Fawcett made-for-TV movie about her. But she was a good photographer in spite of the horrible... Where is this flood? ...TV movie. Uh, this was a Kentucky flood. It happened in the 30s. Mm-hmm. I don't know if people on TV land can see that. But um, 
it's a it's a nice photograph. The people are actually in handmade boats, which was the part that yeah, we liked. Yeah, the one on the steel drums. <laughs> yeah. So Flansburg found the photo in the base. I'm I'm kind of paraphrasing what it says on the wiki here. Flansburg found the photo in the basement archives of Life magazine, and it's it's photos of Kentucky flood victims from 1930. And I I looked into this flood. Um, this was a crazy thing that happened <laughs> in America that I knew nothing about, and now I know mm-hmm. a lot about it. But um, here here's some newsreel clips <laughs> from that. Oh wow! Let me hear them. Water coming into the city. Please evacuate. Do so immediately. Water will eventually come over Million Dollar Thudwell, and you must evacuate. From Cairo, Illinois, south for 700 miles, unseasonably warm weather and frequent rains were the cause. The Army had plans ready to evacuate half a million people to safety in Louisiana. Convicts chained together hauled sandbags to hold back the river rising in 79 counties in 15 states. Despite massive efforts by the Coast Guard, Red Cross, and Army Corps of Engineers, 900 people died. The photo is is from the Ohio River flood from the 30s. And uh, there are a lot of YouTube uh, documentaries about this. If anyone's interested, it's pretty... I was actually, like, skimming through them trying to find, like, if if that photo from the album is... Mm. But it covered a massive area that there was thousands and thousands of people affected, so it would be impossible to really find this one dude. I do recall, I don't have a clip at the ready, but I have a memory of Flansworth talking about one of the things that attracted him to this photo is that the guy kind of looks like he's smiling a little. Mm-hmm. He kind of looks like he's just like, not maybe not having fun, but he's just like, well, this is ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I think that's kind of cool because even though this was like a tragic disaster with a lot of deaths and uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> injuries, like the cover of Flood is, it almost is kind of weirdly optimistic or weirdly... Maybe optimistic's the wrong word. It speaks to our pioneering spirit. Yeah, thank you, Dave. It's it's just like he's... You're he, welcome. He's making do. The flood crest is past, and the city's beginning to dry out. The worst is over, except for sickness and contagion. But what a gigantic job faces the stricken population. A beautiful city now piled high with trash. It's like trying to pump out the ocean. The city's fairly filled with pumps, big pumps and little pumps, trying to put the Ohio River back to bed. One of the most curious aftermaths of the flood, boats that were lifesavers a few days ago. Now they're just in the way. It almost seems like he's enjoying it. Now, it's just a photo. He could have been wincing or something. We don't, we don't right know. Right before then, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Was... The other thing I wanted to, to briefly touch on is the Flood logo, which some yeah. people will recognize from Clarissa Explains It All. Uh, what? She, she, she had... <laughs> well, I won't. She had the Flood logo on her wall in the show. Was that a cable show? Cable, Nickel, right? Nickelodeon. Yep. Didn't have cable growing up. Fucking big, empty spot in my brain for that. I met a guy... um, Really hate people that have cable. I met a guy yesterday. They used his house growing up for Pete and Pete. Means nothing to me. I've showed you Pete and Pete. But I don't have that uh, nostalgia growing up with it. it I saw it as an adult. What what do you have nostalgia growing up with then if you didn't watch any of the stuff everyone watched? Uh, Well, I have nostalgia for like Channel 11, you know, Saturday morning cartoons and the Channel 11 afternoon movies. That's where all the horror stuff comes in. King Kong and all that. I just saw King Kong. I went to a screening. I know. I can't believe it. I saw both King Kongs. 
I saw 2005 uh, and 1933. Oh, I thought you meant 1976. I never saw that one. No. I skipped the middle one. I know it's not a trilogy. <laughs> it's the same it's the same movie three times. But yeah, yeah. Anyway, let's move on. So the logo for Flood was done by their friend Barbara Lip, who I think is a hilarious, great person because she also uh, moonlighted, is that the term? As yes. Frida, the, the right. living doll. And I have. See, when I just read that today, I was yeah. like connecting all the dots from that. Yeah. So, so Frida is. is uh, or I don't know if she's still doing it, but at least was. Uh, you can hear about her in our Joshua uh, Freed interview. Yes. Um, she does come up. Um, Frida was a, a woman who put a, like a mannequin head over her right. shoulders. So she was this kind of like seven foot tall doll person and she would open for They Might Be Giants. Yeah, she was a she, performance artist in the 80s scene. Frida. Yeah, and she she had her own shows. It's Barbara Lip and and Tom Koken. It was like the two of them collaborating. So she designed uh, the the flood logo with Flansburg, right? I, I assume everything is with Flansburg. Yeah. That has to do with they might be giants. To be yeah. honest, I I love that you know they they've got some of that eighties indie East Village art scene spirit still mm -hmm. still on the album in you know even though the flood logo is like really um polished right like you know it's it's like a real yeah, it's, great. it's a, actually like on it's like a coat of arms yeah exactly like it looks it looks great on Clarissa's wall she also had a poster <laughs> of John and John like standing like above her bed and in the first episode she talks about was that just a show that violent femmes were on too no no you're thinking of Sabrina the teenage witch okay so Melissa Joan Hart yeah then went on to be Sabrina the Teenage Witch, and there's an episode where ah, she goes to a Violent Femmes okay. show, and they guest star in it. Yeah. But I think this is all from her. I think she has the same musical taste as us. We should get her on the show. Either her or someone who writes for yeah. her on those. The first episode of Clarissa, she talks about loving They Might Be Giants. And and this is actually is a good... weird. It's a good <laughs> reflection of how huge Flood was. I think you should know a few things about me. You know, my likes and dislikes. Okay, I like Twizzlers. Jawbreakers and sugar bombs. John, the one without the glasses, and they might be giants. And driving. Okay, so Clarissa explains it all as the Nickelodeon show, and it premiered March 23rd, 1991. So this was the direct result of Flood being this huge album and, mm. and reaching this wider audience. So it's it is a good thing to bring up as just a microcosm of like the band started to get noticed, but not it's weird because they were never like huge, huge, huge in this kind of hit, like one hit wonder kind of way. Cause even when we'll talk about Birdhouse was like, it wasn't a hit in the sense of, you know, like, I don't know, come on Eileen or whatever, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, like it's not the, the kind of thing where everyone knows it, but it's the kind of thing where maybe like, what would you say, like 20% of people are like, oh yeah, Birdhouse, right? Or maybe even less. Yeah. Yeah. 18%. <laughs> Dave's gonna do his Bernie Sanders. The or... other... <laughs> The upper eighteen percent, yeah, I'd say. So it is weird, but but it's it never reached the like I guess you could say Metallica levels of like. Can we? That'd be great. <laughs> it never reached the levels of yeah. just like. It was no Enter Sandman. It's not a stadium song. And there's no negative sense of like, oh, like Birdhouse is their one hit, but they've got other good songs. Like no, like everyone, like the fans love Birdhouse. The fans love Flood. Um, I, I feel like even a hardened 
hipster TMBG fan. I myself have been one at times, you could say. Um, I've never had like a disparaging word about Flood. Um, the only thing... Yeah, I, I like it. The only, the only like negative element would just be like, I wish... Um, People who love Flood who haven't checked out their albums would listen to all their other albums because, you know, I'd say I like Lincoln more than Flood. I agree. Breaking news. <laughs> but, well, uh, it seems to have worked out for you guys. Okay. How many albums do you have? Uh, gold? I know Flood is, right? I think Flood after, is the only one that's actually like five years. The one that's gold. Yeah. Actually, Flood is might even is like on the verge of going platinum, which is really Whoa. daunting. Yes. But, um, you know, it's, it's the one that like is kind of the starter kit for a lot of people. Like they'll you know, they see our show and then they, they'll go and buy Flood, which is kind of sort of too bad in a way because it just kind of perpetuates the, you know, the thing of like people knowing this certain set of songs. And I don't think, in a lot of ways, I feel like our other albums, you know, are, are certainly as, as uh, you know, as an entire experience are probably just as solid. I um, think that, that for us, the best thing would be if people just bought whatever our current record was. I'd say of the, what are we, the original six Six albums, right, before we started following them in sure. real time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Flood might be four, three or four. Yeah. I mean, which is, again, not to say that it's by any stretch of the imagination an inferior album. It's just that everything was so goddamn good. Everything and then was you start really, so good. You know, you start measuring by inches how, how to get that uh, hierarchy if you wanted to put them in an order. I wanted to talk a bit about the production of Flood before we get to track one. It's funny, when you look at the liner notes, Flood was produced only partly by Clive Langer and Alan Winstanley. I don't know if that's how you pronounce their names, by the way. Sorry. Mm -hmm. They produced, like, the hit songs on it. They produced, like, four songs. But uh. as They Might Be Giants have said it, um, they're, like, they spend a lot of time on, like, Birdhouse, Istanbul, yeah, yeah. I think you're a racist friend. Just as an aside, I don't know, Jordan, can you tell that those songs have more time spent on them? I mean, I don't really see too much of a disparity between the songs. That's a, that's a good point. Um, I do think there's they're more ambitious a little bit. Mm -hmm. I, I'd say a little. So also, yeah, We Want to Rock, um, which also is very, uh, well, we'll talk about it. Molto bene. It, it's really full. Like a lot of the songs they produced are like super, super full and huge mm. sounding. A lot of tracks, <laughs> a, lot, a lot of notes, a lot of music. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. So Clive Langer and Alan Winston Lee produced like really the big songs on mm -hmm. here. Though We Want to Rock, that would have been a good single. I don't it's know. It's my favorite song on the album. Spoiler Whoa. alert. Whoa. Oh my God. Yeah. So we can end this it, episode right now. Keep it tuned in, folks. Those shocking secrets and more. So the production of the album, I just wanted to say, and we're going to talk about specifics with, with each song, but in a general sense, there is more acoustic stuff going on, I've noticed. There's, okay. there's more real, in, like acoustic guitars. This album has a lot of guest stars on it. You've got mm -hmm. like violins and trumpets and, yeah. and you've got... A, a Whip cracks. You've sort of, yeah, exactly. I've noticed the, there's more layered vocals so, like, if you listen to their first two albums, a lot of it is like a singular vocal, mm -hmm. and a lot, and a, a handful of songs on Flood, it's like the doubled or the doubled. tripled, like kind of classic kind of. It, it really gives the album its own sound. I almost kind of miss when each album had like a really, really distinct sound because I do feel like they're in like a, mm. they're in like a flow now with like their studio they always use and the people they always work with, which is fine, mm -hmm. but like. It's more like they're consistently solid sounding albums, but there's not that like kind of outside force like Clive Langer and Alan mm -hmm. Winston Lee, like kind of shaping them in, in a way that hasn't, I feel like that hasn't happened in a while. Do you agree? 
Mum. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I, though we do talk about how they are going back to the weirder, more experimental stuff. I think they're loosening up a lot, yeah. which is good. But I, I do think on a production level, just like, so for example, like Linnell's voice mm. on this album, there's a quality to the vocals that isn't is nothing like the other albums and it's hard for me to explain it i feel like this is something that's only in my head maybe we'll get some might emails be, might be yeah um it's you just like, have to hear it for yourself folks yeah it's kind of like it, this sounds like an insult but i don't mean it that way it sounds like kind of like flat mm-hmm. like he's singing in a kind of like this there's a certain it's like must be how they process them or eq'd them or something but the vocals on this album are like there's a quality to them that i can't explain okay but i uh, I have a podcast about the band, so I should be able to. I'll give you that. I'm not sure I quite hear exactly what you're talking yeah, about. But maybe I'll, as I'll, things come up more, yeah. we can explore it. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I like to yes and you <laughs> when possible. Um, but I also don't want to be disingenuous. One uh, surprising influence on the sound of Flood was this De La Soul album, Three Feet High and Rising. And Flansburg, there's this great Rolling Stone article about Flood that we might refer to a few times. They do a track by track breakdown. Some songs they talk a lot about, some they, they don't. Flansburg mentions that the this De La Soul album used the Casio FZ1 sampler, and that was like a huge game changer for them. And they it inspired them to, to use it a lot on the various songs, which we'll get into. I have a, a clip that I think is an interesting parallel because it's De La Soul using a Johnny Cash sample, oh, weird. which our boys in the band have done. So, co-host Dave Fox on the podcast. Hey, how you doing? Don't let's start a podcast about They Might Be Giants. Is that the name we chose? That's that is the name. That's what we went with. Okay, we should have called it Flood. Floodites. <laughs> Floodies. It's called. I'm I'm changing it though. Yeah, it's like mut- mutants and muties. <laughs> um, <laughs> floodites is the positive way. Of yeah, saying yeah, it. sure, sure. Be yeah, a loud and proud that. floodite. We are starting track oh, one. Here we go. Theme from flood? flood. Why is the world in love again? Why are we marching hand in hand? Why are the ocean levels rising up? It's a brand new record for 1990. They might be giants, brand new album, Flood. You know what I like about this track, Jordan? I can't really think of any other band that would be so bold as to say, here's an album you're going to love. <laughs> yeah, that is, that's funny. <laughs> like right away. It's bold. It's beautiful. It's, it's really leading the album into saying like, you have to fall in love with this. This is a big, beautiful track. <laughs> BB, BBT. BBT. This is an interesting way to start an album. I, I think my favorite thing about it is that they're they're kind of acknowledging that they're on a major label. Sure, yeah. They're almost making fun of what we talked about, which is the idea of a band selling out once they get on a big label. The idea that they're making such a huge hype about this album that is now being released is sort of them yeah. doing a little elbowing in the ribs, a little little tongues mm-hmm. in the cheeks, a little <laughs> a little sticks keep, keep going. sticks up the butts. No, that's when you don't like something. Yeah. So yeah, they're they're having fun with the idea that we are uh, enjoying this album. What I like about it though is in the classic They Might Be Giants way. Like what what's really happening is we're 
they're celebrating this like catastrophe, especially after, by the way, sure. do, doing all the research on the horrible flood that happened made <laughs> this track really even more morbid. Like, not that I, I never thought of it that way. Yeah, it's like not that I didn't know floods killed people and animals and things, but cute, cute and especially babies. They kill yeah. babies like like you wouldn't believe. Um, they can't they, like swim. they're going out of style. Babies, not strong swimmers. <laughs> no, no. Um, <laughs> But the idea is just where it's like this celebratory, exuberant thing saying mm -hmm. the ocean levels are rising up. I mean, this is like everyone's like I've had nightmares. I've had like apocalyptic yeah, yeah. nightmares about stuff like this. And the idea that we're all celebrating it and we're all rejoicing in it almost in like a religious sense. Right. It's exactly. This is biblical. Like, yeah. This is like a kind of like a church choir. Song. Exactly. So I wanted to talk about the vocals. So it's funny because I've always in my like mind's ear, is that a thing? <laughs> I, um, I, I always hear it as this massive choir, but it's just two people. And if you really listen, mm. it really is just the two people. Now, who are these people singing here? Just some uh, professional type singers. Some of them are you, right? No, no? they're all they're professional singers who know how to read music. Like jingle type singers. No. Kind of, well, they, they, they do like, they do all sorts of things. Marion Beckenstein, <laughs> and Rick McRae playing trombones. And let's let's go into those two people a little bit. Um, that sounded kind of gross. Um, it's one of them is a singer. Well, you said a little bit. Yeah. We're not going into them yeah. too deep. Exactly. Um, singer Marion Beckist Barry. Beckistan. Marion Barry. Yeah. <laughs> singer. Do Mary not cut that out. <laughs> singer Marion Beckenstein, and she is a singer. And here is a clip of her outside of theme from Flood. Oh. Like a lover, the morning sun slowly rises and kisses you awake. Your smile is soft and drowsy as you let it play upon your face. Oh, how I dream I might be like the morning Marion Beckenstein. <laughs> and Joel McHale. And Joel, Joel McHale. So Joel Mitchell, now... I want to preface this clip. I don't know if this is the Joel Mitchell. Um, it's most likely him, but he's, as opposed to Marion, um, he does not have a big online presence. I could not find almost anything about him, him as a singer, but I did find a clip of, of a Joel Mitchell singing opera, and it definitely could be the, the voice. So here it is. Let's assume, I guess. <laughs> You think that's the, do you think that's the guy, Dave? Probably. What if we smash the, the two clips together to see if they <laughs> create a beautiful theme from Flood Harmony? So we've got those two singers, and then there's just a trombone. I've always imagined this as this like huge orchestra and a choir. Yeah. And when my memories of hearing it, but then when I when you listen, it's actually like weirdly stripped down. I think it's just drenched in like a giant reverb or something. Maybe that's that production. That yeah. Talking about. Yeah, things just sound bigger. 
Um, even the trombone, if you listen, like it's kind of funny. It almost sounds like a synth, but it's not because yeah. there's a person credited, a uh, person who I could not find anything about uh, accredited on trombone. I also like the, uh, and it's funny because they have opera singers basically yeah. doing the intro. There is an operatic quality to it because it's like a uh, overture. That's right. For the whole album, which really makes it even more grandiose. It's like the playbill. Exactly. And so that's another unique thing that I, I haven't heard too many bands do. And that comes from a classical setting. Dave knows a little bit about opera, which is surprising. Yeah, my parents are big opera buffs. Like, mm-hmm. I, as fanatical about opera as maybe Jordan is about, they might be giants. Like, going to operas maybe a couple times a week. Yeah. Still now, even. You should check out their podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Don't let Op Talk. Pav- <laughs> Op Talk, that's better. But so as a result, I got, you know, dragged to a couple operas as a kid. I'm more yeah. than a couple. Um, not a big fan. Yeah. How were those experiences? Coming to the well, let's see. I went a, to one. For an eight or nine year old to sit through a three hour thing? Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. You should have just been like, when's Frankenstein come yeah. out or something? I don't know. <laughs> that's Imagine what Jordan Dave thinks I was like, as a kid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love Frankenstein and that's it. But anyway, there, you know, so when you'd be sitting down waiting for the opera to start, the chorus, the orchestra would play the yes. overture, which was an example of what was to come. So that's kind of what this reminds me of. It's kind of cool. The lyric, why are we marching hand in hand? That's an image where you could really look at it in a positive or negative uh, way. Kind of like a brainwashed thing. Yeah, and I also like the why are we marching? Like the song, like they're not telling you that Flood is great. They're they're agreeing with you that you already think Flood is great. (laughs) Yeah. Do you see what I'm saying? Sure, yeah. It's Uh, a weird confidence. Yeah. It's kind of a mind fuck to put you in a sort of state of mind for the album. Yeah, I agree. (laughs) Which Um, I like. With this album, like being hyped by themselves is so great. Like one thing I wanted to ask you, like, do you think Flood is popular? Why? Like, yeah. Why do you think it's popular? I'll just say that. I'd say because of the few main singles that were released from it. You think that's really? Okay. I think that coupled with the major label move was the perfect storm because they had and the that is the first appearance on the Tonight Show too, right? So there's a few things happening at once, but I would mainly say it's like mm. that triad of. Birdhouse Istanbul and, and that leads Man. to like the Clarissa and the Tiny Clarissa thing. thing and Tiny Tunes. I, it and, just seems like this, you know, avalanche that just kind of kept going. So you're what Dave's saying is flood went viral for you millennials out there. What I'm saying is it flooded because it's like as opposed to like Apollo 18, like an album who yeah. had, that, that has great songs, you know, catchy, great hit singles that I like too. slightly better than Flood. Yeah, but um, do you think Electra didn't like? It's like they pushed really hard for Flood and then was just kind of like, oh, now you guys are good. Take care of yourself. I think so. I, don't know. I think so. I mean, I'm not an expert, but I would assume that that's sort of the first move for the label when they get a new band that they think can kind of explode into a bigger audience. Then maybe I think they get maybe the real numbers and the expectations are managed. <laughs> yeah. And it's they sit them down on <laughs> with like a yeah. <laughs> with like a big thing of paid like Hudsucker proxy <laughs> like paper coming out of a thing. They're like well, not the even, numbers. Not even in a negative way, but if you don't know how a band's gonna perform before they even get on there, you have no way of, you know, judging that. So sure. Once they do it, it's like, okay, let's, we can scale this back a little bit. We know you do this much in this area. And sometimes I wonder like outside of myself, like is, is, are the songs that much better? Like, is it something mm-hmm. we just don't, we're too deep in the fan base or the, we're too aware of all the other songs, but like, is there something special about this set of songs that we don't understand? I don't know because I think that, I think that's a problem that many bands and many fandoms run into mm. because 
think about any popular song from any band that just the layman would like. Yeah. You know, like we, t- whatever, we talked about Enter Sandman. That's like sure. my least favorite Metallica song. Really? I, I know what they least? can do. Probably one of my least. Wow. I think it's a little silly. Oh, okay. <laughs> and I've heard it way too many times to really ever need to hear it again. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I think it's probably impossible for, you know, people like us to get outside of ourselves and really know, listen with a fresh ear. Yeah. But I would venture to guess that like, yeah, Birdhouse for sure is a pretty damn great song. There is, I mean, I, I do say there is something special about the album. I just think there's something special about most of their albums. Yeah. <laughs> I also want to say I do, for Theme from Flood, I'm pretty sure Linnell has, has discussed it and I'm, I'm pretty sure he wrote it and I always think it's interesting songs true, that none of them sing on it so yeah Linnell in this Rolling Stone interview said that they thought it'd be appropriate to inaugurate their major label debut by having the listener pass through a ceremonial archway mm-hmm. so I love that and that sounds like that well that articulated what I was trying to say much better there so. you go so Dave what's the next song on flood maybe a little song called birdhouse in your soul Okay, Birdhouse in Your Soul. We do not need to tell you that uh, this is a really huge song for They Might Be Giants and for the fans and for society. It was a smash hit. Yeah, um, it was apparently a huge hit in England. Tell us a little bit about what you've been up to and where you've been in the last year and a half, two years. We just got back from Europe. We've been touring all this year to support Flood, and we just did a Euro thing, which was really fun because we're getting a lot of attention in England right now. We had a top 10 hit over there. Um, so there's lots of screaming kids coming to our shows. What was the hit? Birdhouse? Birdhouse. Top yeah, t- that's great. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. Yeah. So now we have lots of people who know one song by us <laughs> instead of just a few people who know. Well, that's song. a start. That's yeah. a start anyway. You just build your audience from there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was great. We actually got to tour with a caterer, which was a big step up. Mm-hmm. But now we're back in the U.S., back in the vans. Cooking our own food. Fast food stops along the way, a huh? Sterno can. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty cool of England to like that song. Good on you. Um, it is, uh, honestly, it still does surprise me, though, if I run into a random person who, I, if I'll mention the, the podcast to or the band to over the years, and they know Birdhouse, it's still strange to me because it, it still doesn't seem to me like it was like, a song everyone knows. It was a hit, but it's still, they might be giants. I mean, yeah. it still has all their sensibilities and their lyrical complexities and musical complexities. Yes. Um, one thing I wanted to talk about right away with this song, and we're going we're gonna to be here a while, folks, because uh, this is a huge... Settle in. Yes, this is a huge deal. There's something really, really, really clever going on with the production for the first two tracks, which is that the volume is low, and then... After the birdhouse yes. intro, the volume gets loud, and then the rest of the album is that yeah. um, normalized volume. But what they did was they had like track one, theme from Flood, is kind of quiet. Yeah. And then 
the, because if it was loud and then birdhouse was quiet, it'd be like a zigzag. Mm-hmm. Um, it'd be like an up and down and it wouldn't work. But what they did, which is really um, conceptual and clever uh, on a production standpoint, is to have track one be a little quiet and then you you think that's the, the volume of the album. So you you get used to it, right? Then birdhouse starts with the I'm your only friend opening. And then as it builds to the first chorus, the actual volume gets louder. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not just that there's more instruments and stuff. It's like the actual, like, waveform or whatever mm-hmm. um, gets huge. And it's, it's it never fails to, like, excite me. Like, yeah. it never fails to work. I've heard the song. I've heard Flood a million times. But I'll put on, like, Flood in my car. And it just, the way that it gets louder at that part is, like, really exciting. Yeah, I think for me, I just would put the volume up in the beginning and then it would be super loud. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's the other side effect is, is sometimes you, the theme from Flood is kind of quiet and then yeah. you, you make it loud and then it's things are too loud. Well, yeah, it's definitely a un- another unique quality along with having that kind of overture in the beginning that just yeah. set up that this was a ambitious album. And the other thing, um, Andy Partridge from XTC once, once had a good songwriting tip and I, he might have been quoting someone else, but he mentioned like, oh, a good idea is take the bridge of your song and pop it as in as an intro. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then that, sure. that accomplishes... That old chestnut. <laughs> that accomplishes a few things, which is one, you've got this cool intro that's a little um, outside the box or a little like surprising. Two, then when the bridge happens later in the song, there's a familiarity with it and it's like more exciting and almost in a subtle way. I have this big theory about... Um, so, you know, Beetlejuice, right? The the movie the man <laughs> yeah the man the 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 legend the so star the beetlejuice theme dave sing the beetlejuice theme boom oh what is it that's gremlins you oh we gotta cut that i think that's funny but you tell me what it is so the beetlejuice theme and you know there's other aspects to it like anyway you know i'm a big fan of danny elfman uh you know he like i was trying to say before about when i i only listen to movie soundtracks i listen to the beetlejuice soundtrack the batman returns soundtrack obsessively stuff like that pretty sophisticated little elementary school kid i like to say but the thing with the beetlejuice theme is it's not in the movie very much what happens, and this is what Birdhouse kind of does too, um, the theme is in the opening credits. Mm-hmm. It's like the most exciting opening credits music you've ever heard in your life. Then you never hear that melody again until there's a hint that Beetlejuice is about to be on screen. Mm-hmm. And then very quiet on the soundtrack, or maybe not quiet, but like a, a little uh, you know, understated, is like a little doo-doo-doo-doo. And I believe that's called a motif, Jordan. Yes. But my point is the idea that you there's this exciting version of it in the beginning. And then when in the movie you're sitting there and you hear did it did it, you it's not like you've seen the movie. Let's say the first time you've seen the movie, mm-hmm. something in your brain like there's a little like reaction. You get excited. You're like, why am yeah. I excited to see Beetlejuice when I've never seen him before? It's because you you're like oh I re- I recognize something just now and I don't know what it is it only it plays really subconsciously. I don't think that's an Andy Partridge thing. I, I think that comes from classical music. Like I think that's oh, well, yeah, I, yeah. I, oddly we're talking about opera again, but um, <laughs> you know that's a theme. Birdhouse like, is kind of an operatic song it, in a weird way, yeah. yeah. And I think they used to do that so that everybody could keep the characters straight in their mind. Everybody would have their own theme. You know, when you're talking about a bridge being 
used in the beginning. Yeah, yeah. Um, that yeah, that's something where they would have repeating motifs to like you know remember this part of the story. Yeah, we're gonna talk about this again. And so God, there's so much. To, we'll just go a little bit at a time here. We're gonna inch our way through this song. We're gonna go real delicate. So, Dave, Birdhouse in Your Soul. What is this song about? I think it's about finding the uh, the solace in a person you love. Okay, so you're jumping you're jumping ahead of me here. You just asked what you, <laughs> I thought it was about, and I answered wrong. No, you're actually right. Um, so here's Thank the thing, you. though, and I have some some of my favorite clips of They Might Be Giants. I'm about to play of, of them discussing this song because mm-hmm. there's def- people ask them a lot. What is this song about? Excellent. Uh, it's John, John, and Brian of They Might Be Giants. We're 101.7 WFNX Lynn, Boston. What does that song mean, Birdhouse in Your Soul? It means everything and nothing at all. What I want to talk about with, with you, Dave, and, and this song is a perfect uh, like kind of umbrella for this discussion. So asking what something is about to me is is not even a clear question because there's what something is about and then there's what's like the the I guess like the feeling or the tone or mm-hmm. the meaning behind what it's about. So so when they're asked what you know what the song is about and sometimes they'll say it's about a nightlight. Sure, yeah. Now your first video of Flood is Birdhouse in Your Soul. Mm-hmm. And this strikes me is really kind of a cutesy little love song. Like the the kind of song which cutesy uh, Dave? Cutesy, I mean, a a band that's trying to sell out, that's trying to make their mark in a Billboard Top 40 is going to do. Hey, I thought our people told your people that the selling out stuff couldn't come up on the show. No, well, we just did a a nice song. Yeah, that's okay. You haven't offended us deeply with that remark. Good. Birdhouse in your soul. Um, Tell us a little bit about your interpretation of it. It's Uh, obviously not a cutesy love song. Well, it's a song about a nightlight, Dave. Um, It might be a cute nightlight. In some people's eyes, I don't know. Um, that's pretty much uh, the whole story of the song, though. It's about a nightlight. And so that's like literally what right. the story that's is. That's level one. Yes. Like Mario, Super Mario <laughs> 1. Oh, I was going to go with uh, Dante's Inferno. Oh, sure. Okay. I am Dave's more sophisticated. Dave's like all opera and sophisticated yeah, and classical today. music today. Yeah. He's usually like. The, he's usually the stupid idiot <laughs> that I hate. I'm usually the dumb one of the bunch. Um, so, you know, so you've got like level one is, is it's about a nightlight. That is the literal, that's like if this yes. was a children's book, it'd be like the little nightlight who exactly. sang a song to yes. his, you know, friend. Um, but then what, as Dave's response to my question is like, what, wh- why, it's, it's, his response to that question is kind of, it's more answering, why would you write a song about a nightlight, right. right? Or like, what's the feeling? What's the emotion in the story? Level two, it's like, what is the nightlight doing? <laughs> like, what's the nightlight feeling? What's the nightlight making you Act feel? Act three, he finds a conflict. <laughs> but maybe we can kind of talk about some of those things right now. Um, kind of talk it out. You know, just like, you know, if I, had the, the if I had the lyrics here, I mean, like Birdhouse in Your Soul, I mean, I kind of take that as like a love song. I mean, you guys are considered like Brooklyn's ambassadors of love, mm-hmm. correct? Yes. So yeah. you tell me. Yes, it's a love song. I love this. Nothing but love songs. Really? Your favorite mix. Oh, my favorite mix. Of yesterday, today, and tomorrow. 
So there, there is a, the few clips that we've been playing of, of them explaining it's about a nightlight and or or the interviewer not understanding or or even or even just like the interviewer kind of scoffing at, at, at the very idea, the very notion, Dave, of writing a song about a nightlight of all things. Why not write a song about going to a, a party and dancing like every other <laughs> pop song? So. I, there is this great clip um, of them on this insanely um, obnoxious person's uh, radio show, Man Cow. Do you know Man Cow? Sounds familiar. So I thought it was Mad Cow. It's Man Cow. I like that. Um, well, so like the Greek Minotaur. Yeah. So <laughs> Man Cow is going to come up for a song later because we have a huge thing with with him. We we've, we've got to talk about. But you'll you'll get a, a little preview. Is he man? Is he cow? You're, you're going to get a little preview the question, of his uh, his interview style. He's basically like a shock jock, so he's he's trying to kind of push their buttons. Sure, sure. I, and, I assume with a name like Man Cow. <laughs> and you'll hear in this clip, he basically really pushes them to explain for once in their life, <laughs> just explain why they wrote a song about this or that. Does everything mean something? Yes. yes. It does mean something. Yes. yes. It's not just complete nonsense and this would Listen sound... Listen to no. the tired sound in our voice when we say yes. You've been asked that a lot? Yes. Um, We've been asking know, ourselves. There's no, you know, there's no secret messages in there, but there, it definitely... You know, it's not just uh, I tried well, to a jabberwock. No, but I want to know that this stuff... Because I sit and try does, to figure it, it out. It does. It does. We, we think very hard about the lyrics, and we throw away a lot of lyrics that are yeah. not so meaningful. So it does mean something. Yes. But I was just wondering if it was just crap. No, no, no. You okay. can tell I me. Mean, well, Race's friend is Okay, how obvious. about this? Birdhouse in my soul. What does it mean, fellas? It's about friendship. It's about affection. And it's about caring for others. It's really, that's really what it's about. You guys are good. Well, maybe the more you push, you know, the better answer you get. Maybe we owe a debt to man cow. So taking what Linnell said there, mm -hmm. let's talk about the first few lines, because I, I'm like really obsessed with these first few lines of this song. They uh, always maybe, confused me. Yeah, so maybe more than the other lines of the song, but I, I, I really love this part. So the rest of the song has a lot of like references and you're, yeah, you're yeah. kind of piecing together imagery that's a little bit like he's making it like a little bit of a of an effort. Like, you know, he's not saying things flat out. You've got to kind of piece things together a little, though it's certainly not one of their more like puzzling songs, mm -hmm. which I think is part of why it's so beloved. We talked about that with like Anna Ng. It's like when they have a song that's no less intelligent and uh, effective, but it's not as insanely elliptical and obscure and confusing as another other, other songs of theirs mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. so like Anna Ng and Birdhouse I'd put in that category I think people can latch on to it because in one sense when a casual fan or a big fan or someone new to the band when they get into Birdhouse and they they have that uh, light bulb moment mm -hmm. no pun intended I guess um, where they go oh, it's about a nightlight it's about a nightlight mm -hmm. singing to the you know person in the room it, it you feel smart. You f you do feel kind of like proud. Like I figured, a they might be giant song out. Right. And I figured out a they might be giant song that has some really strange lyrics and really like lyrics I've never heard in a song before. It's that perfect balance of complicated and complex, and there's big ideas, but it's not it's not hiding everything from you the way some of their other lyrics are. Well, it's worth exploring. Yeah. It's worth the work you have to sometimes put in to 
decipher it. Yeah, I thought about that once. We were, I th- was it you I was talking to? Probably. We were, we were talking about like bad movies. Mm-hmm. We were talking about movies that are smart but boring. And then mm-hmm. we were saying like, but then there's like The Shining, mm-hmm. which is smart but exciting to watch. And I was like, when a movie bothers to entertain me mm-hmm. it makes me want to dive into it more and interpret it more rather than like when you watch some like boring and i've seen a lot of these <laughs> like an indie movie that's super complex and dense and mm-hmm. confused non-linear or you know like confusing mm-hmm. but i'm like well but but if i don't care about anything right. happening why would i waste five it's minutes style over substance or i would almost say the opposite it's substance over style. Yeah, because style, like the st- the style, will draw you in and make you excited to watch, and the this, this substance is like it, they should complement each other. I guess is my point. So, like, let's say like The Shining sure. is an example has like a lot of complex ideas in it, but it's like it's not boring no. and it's super fun, and you could enjoy it on, on a lot of levels. It has a good aesthetic that makes that uh, makes you want to keep watching. Spooky aesthetic. It's spooktacular. Yeah. So. Birdhouse in your soul is kind of is also spooky. It's kind of like that. Um, so let, let me talk about those first few few. Let lines. you talk. What have I been doing? So yes, Dave, I'm your only friend. <laughs> Not far off. What I love about these first few lines and what I was sort of trying to get at before was that while, while the rest of the lyrics in the song have like a lot of nouns and a lot of references mm-hmm. and things, the first few lines of Birdhouse are more about the state of mind of the narrator and. It's not so much about trying to be um, clever and literate as it is about what would an actual moment in someone's thoughts look like. Sure. So a typical moment in my thoughts every day, I'm like a very, sometimes I'm very like scrambled. Sure. I think most people are. Yeah. You have a lot of things going on at once and you try to parse it out. You know, in a movie where it's about someone where you, you could like hear their thoughts mm-hmm. or they can hear other people's thoughts, yeah. you know, like there's that like Buffy where she can hear people's thoughts and it like makes her go insane. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, everyone's thoughts are very, are for the most part. Written? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's just yeah. kind of like, I hope she doesn't find out that I'm lying to her. Mm-hmm. Whereas in reality, thoughts yeah. are more just like kind of like gabba gabba <laughs> like they're just insane they're just kind of everywhere they're just like they're like oh look at that car i like oh it's cold oh, like, like there's so much at once at least that's how yeah. i feel especially when we have caffeine <laughs> chrissy asked me once you know like penny for your thoughts and i literally told her everything i was thinking of at the same time she would return that and penny it, yeah. pretty quick <laughs> no she was like well thank you for your honesty <laughs> Um, cause it was like, well, I have this song stuck in my head. That's the first thing. Yes. Yeah. There's I'm thinking always... about this thing I got to do tomorrow. I have like a half thought about this thing from when I was nine. And I think that's about it. Yeah. So it was like three things going on the at opera. once. Yeah, exactly. Were you like in the, the dark, Deflator in like, mouse. uh, Batman begins when you're at the opera with your parents <laughs> yeah. and it was like scary, your fear was on, <laughs> and then you like left behind the alley. My fear was boredom. <laughs> yeah. That's really why Bruce wanted to leave. He wasn't really scared of the bats. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. So you get what I'm saying. Dave gets me. That's why I picked him to be my co-host. Yeah. That's why I picked him from those Craigslist responses I got. Yeah, I, I dig. So what the opening of, of Birdhouse suggests is what an actual thought process sounds like, which is constant contradictions and confusing. Chattering. So saying, I'm your only friend. I'm not your only friend, but I'm a little glowing friend, but really I'm not actually your friend, but I am. Mm. But what I also love about it is there is a logic to every single part and and I want to just talk about it. So saying I'm your only friend 
it's like he's being presumptuous. Mm-hmm. Let's say it's a he. This nightlight, we really don't know. Could be a girl. This this nightlight with a penis. <laughs> this canary with a giant <laughs> penis. Um, so giant. I didn't say that. Welcome, new All listeners. Right. <laughs> this is the show. Hey, whatever gets you going. <laughs> Uh, so I'm your only friend is like, he's, be, uh, he's being presumptuous being like, I'm the most important thing in your life. Right. Sure. But then he realizes that what he just said it's a little mean. is a little ridiculous. Mm. So he goes, I'm not your only friend. It's, it's almost like a, like, it's kind of like a neurotic. <laughs> this nightlight's Woody Allen. Yeah. So he goes, I'm not your only friend. So, but then he goes, but I am a little glowing friend. He's getting a little more specific. Beat that. <laughs> But then he goes, but really, I'm not actually your friend. He's like, because I'm not a person. I'm an object, right? Now we get But then it. he goes, but I am, because he's saying- I'm here to help. Even after all that, when you get down to it, I, I really am your friend. He's like, what really moves me about this song is that it's Linnell, you know, I don't know if he's channeling his own neuroses mm-hmm. and his own insecurities and, you know, into this narrator. I would assume that some of it is inspired by his own, the way he probably- has felt about people in his life and, mm-hmm. you know, and I know they say the songs are an autobiographical, but I, I think, I think they play a little loose with what that mm-hmm. even means. Cause I think everything is from something. Yeah. You can't help it. Yeah. So he's, he's really channeling someone who's loves someone and wants to be there for someone, mm-hmm. but also doesn't want to like be too like showy about it mm-hmm. and doesn't want to be like, like you'd be like, Oh, but you can, there you you can have other friends too, but <laughs> but like it's like you want to be the most. It's about wanting to be the most important person to someone else, but feeling like that's like a like the hubris of that is sure. is off putting. Exa- yes, so exactly. you kind of dial it back, but you can't hide yeah. how you really feel. So that's like the first like few lines. <laughs> that's the first twentieth uh, of the song. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so we got. So I, I hope I think Dave understands what I'm saying. No, I think you I think you pontificated it perfectly. Thank you. I don't want to get ahead, but yeah, I, I was also always thinking of also but like the road little, movie to Berlin. But, <laughs> yeah. Um, the little kid aspect of the song too. Yes. I don't know if that's, that's a something, huge part of it too. Because a nightlight is generally something a kid would have, unless you know you're a wimp. Or a, <laughs> an adult or a creepy, wimp. crazy person. Yeah. No, I'm kidding. Um, Some, sometimes you need a little nightlight by the bathroom so you don't fall and break yourself so open. They sell um, yeah, yeah. nightlights for toilets yeah. that go on when you like, I don't know, open the toilet or walk mm-hmm. in the bathroom. And I once did a tweet. This was pre-podcast, but I definitely would have done it for I did a tweet like with a picture of it saying like, make a little... <laughs> I think it was like make a little bird poop in your soul or something. Anyway, follow me on Twitter. (laughs) Um, Can I say real quick, I sleep. How do you sleep, Dave? How can you sleep? How do you sleep at night? I love, that's a great, that's a great double meaning. Like you could, like a doctor could ask you, how do you sleep at night? Or like a, you know, a judge (laughs) could ask you. That's really funny. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, So like in elementary school, maybe like Mm. middle school, even going into high school, I have like terrible insomnia, which I still kind of have uh, now. And I can only fall asleep uh, during the day. So, uh, oh, wait, what? (laughs) I, you know, that's what insomnia is. It's like, you just sleep at the wrong times. Oh, interesting. Yeah, maybe. Don't don't fact check me on that. Okay. Um, don't write a letter. Yeah. So for a really long time, I would just sleep with all the lights on, and that's the, like at night. God. Yeah, that was the only way I could fall asleep until I got to college yeah, a and I psychopath. had a psychopath. Yes, exactly. Until I got to college and I had a roommate in a. Did you have room. like panties on your face? Um, that was later. Yeah, that was like uh, speaking. Just speaking of nightlights, I had to have all the the lights oh, on sure. to Let's ever night, fall asleep. Talk. 
so you're you're touching on something very crucial to the song, which is that you would assume it is a, a little kid in mm-hmm. the song that someone is singing to. So there's there's so much going on because the nightlight wants to protect the child. Sure. Yeah. Exactly. But they're they're worried that they are not able to, and that's that's, that's re- that gets into the. I know it's just it's a sweet song. It's a little sad and it's a little life affirming, but it is a little. It's really honest about the neuroses and the insecurities that that we have. That you have. Again, it's like some people might be tripped up by the idea, but but it's not about people. It's about a nightlight. It's like metaphor allows us to explore feelings mm-hmm. and things that that we can like kind of talk about in a in a way that you know reflects humanity and that we might be embarrassed to say if not yeah, so, if not channeled through a uh avatar exactly so like Lin- that's such a great point like linnell is not going to write a song being like i've there's this friend or a girl that a woman mm-hmm. that i like and i'm afraid to he's you know whether it's based on real feelings or not like the idea of of kind of sneaking these insecure feelings into this dense it's a dense song dense tale of a dense as the day is long you know i mean this is like pre like toy story where we're like giving life to these little objects it, it does kind of remind me of a children's book where yeah. it's like the little stapler who <laughs> ran out of staples coming a, soon on the Peng- penguin random house uh, whatever yeah, what would his little stapler do if he ran out of staples? He was useless. I guess it's about, it'd be a metaphor for like finding your purpose. So the idea that you're you're singing to a child because a child would, would have a nightlight. And I, I think I did at one point because you're scared of mm. monsters in your room, right? I think. Or you could just be scared of bugs or something. I guess that's like more realistic. But I think mostly it's the idea that monsters, I know I can just give a little childhood memory. You know, Go on. if my closet door was slightly ajar, that like infinite black strip. Mm-hmm. Do you know, you, Dave is like nodding, uh, I think with acknowledgement of knowing what I'm talking about. No, no, I, it's in disdain because my wife does that today. She needs to have the closet closed, which is, you know, oh, logically oh, okay. insane. Well, so actually for way into my 20s, I would be, when I walked into the bathroom, I would check behind the shower curtain. If the shower curtain's closed, I'd be like, I just want to make sure no one's See, there. See, that's, I think, more normal, you know? Ah, okay. Because I live on the first floor, so... You never know what's hiding behind there. Like the super. <laughs> Just fixing. <laughs> Just fixing your pipes, boy. Oh, boy. Yeah, no, there could be a, <laughs> a sketchy galore in your yeah, yeah. in your apartment. Basically, for, for a long time, I, I would always check behind the shower curtain. Yeah. And when I was little, that, that like black void of into the closet at night honestly made me scared. And... This is, I'm just thinking about this now. So my closet in my childhood bedroom had a closet in it. <laughs> Bro, you're blowing my yeah, mind. Yeah, this is like, it's like inception. Yeah. Um, so there was like a, a small door to the side of my closet that led to like a little tiny closet. And I once locked myself in there by accident and I was screamed and cried until my dad let wow. me out. That's where it all went wrong. But so I was not only scared of a monster in my closet, but I was really scared of some, well, I had a My Buddy doll. My Buddy doll basically was like the child's play, was like Chucky, but non-ironically scary. Oh, that's a good thing for a kid. Um, So it was just like a little boy. (laughs) Sounds weird to describe. It was a doll of a little freckled boy with little overalls. I was terrified of it. Yeah, yeah, of course you would be. Yeah. Well, so I, I kept it in the closet in my closet. 
This and is getting, so, I don't know, man. I guess this is like a roundabout way of saying the idea is that this nightlight <laughs> wants to protect this yeah. n- this child who may, may or may not be scared of anything. Mm-hmm. This is all like conjecture from the narrator, the unreliable narrator's point of view, right? So I also wanted to to go back into the music. What I love about after he sings those lines, and we're really going like second by second with this song. After he sings those lines in the, it's the keyboard part, right? Mm-hmm. The fa- infamous keyboard part, you know, that goes through the left and right channels and the stereo. It's like electricity, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. there's something about it that to me sounds like an electrical like thing is revving up. It's like sure, he's coming, yeah. it's like the nightlight is being turned on and they might be giants. Don't do that kind of thing too much where they're like, really, um, they're showing the lyrics through sounds in the Mm -hmm. music like there's usually almost like a disconnect there which i think a lot of fans like but sometimes they really do like you are hearing a thing that they're singing about um i try to do that a lot in my own music because i just think it's kind of cool but um i also think it's kind of radical but i think it's tubular so i love that now we we can talk about like i guess it starts with the chorus so i mean it, it says it very directly Blue Canary in the Outlet by the Light Switch, who watches over you. See, even saying who watches over you is like so sweet. And it's kind of sad because he is a little naive and he's a little aware of how little power he has, as we learn about when he thinks about the the, the lighthouse. But that's a little bit of a double meaning, too, because it could be who watches over you as a continuation of the first sentence. And it could, or also it could be, be a, a question. A question. I always wondered yeah. that, too. Who watches over you? Who yeah. watches the watches over you? <laughs> who watches the nightlight? Uh, man. And then we, we, we could even... It's funny because I actually haven't put a lot of thought into this. The meaning of the title, Birdhouse in Your Soul, yeah. is like the idea of... of keeping a place it basically means keep keep me in your heart like it's like if you mm-hmm. were to if he was to like genericify the song um he'd be just saying like keep me in your heart you mm-hmm. know baby you know but saying and he would sing like that too. yeah exactly um but saying make make a little birdhouse he's not even saying like a big one that this, well, like make a home and a yeah. feeling of home does he feel like home to you jordan yeah, this song. This song does feel like home. It's kind of. It's you know. It's got that vibe. But but I guess my point is about like his the narrator's insecurity. Saying make a little birdhouse in your soul is part of what's so appealing. I think to a lot of fans of the song. Nothing extravagant. Just enough yeah. to get by. <laughs> He's very humble. It's very just like look. I don't need. Your, I don't need the world. <laughs> I just want your half. Exactly. I just want your little birdhouse. And then not only that, but that's followed by the line, not to put too fine a point on it, which is mm-hmm. him being like, I'm not being pushy here. Sure. I'm just like gently trying to remind you that to care about me. Cause you, I do, you may or may not care about me, but please do care about me, but don't think I'm forcing you to care about me. And I just want to say like, we have had these feelings about people that we like struggle with, you know, like in our lives. Yeah, (laughs) no. So, so then he says not to put too fine a point on it. Say I'm the only bee in your bonnet, which is, you know, a lot of, a lot of Linnell's lyrics are, they seem out of left field, but then after you get used to them, you're just like, yeah. <laughs> and that's a good example of that. Cause like, so a bee in your bonnet. Having a bee in your bonnet means you got something on your mind. Although yeah. I've also heard in the context of like being upset about something. Yeah. I think it's turned into like, as many things do, it's turned negative. Well, a bee is, uh, is bad. Is a bee, bee is bad. <laughs> Bees are bad. That's my like stand political. <laughs> uh, <laughs> they can sting your head if they're in your bonnet. That's true. So yeah. So 
Well, the idea is that if you had a bee in your bonnet, you couldn't think about anything else because it would be very, I mean, this is how I am with bugs. Like my girlfriend gets annoyed at me if there's a bug in the room and I'm trying to catch it and we're in the middle of a movie and I'll like pause the movie and be like, I'm not, I can't concentrate on the movie if I know that a bug might land on my face and start like biting my eyeball. I don't think they do that, but okay. So, so you're saying like not to put too fine a point out, but like be obsessed with me. But, mm-hmm. but it's like kind of that contrast is really funny. Like he's, yeah. he's saying like, I don't, he's like, make a little birdhouse. But if you can be obsessed, if you can, <laughs> only, <take> it. <laughs> if you can only think about me, that would make me really feel valued. <laughs> right. I'm not going to say it's like a dysfunctional relationship, but it is like this one sided. Again, it's an unreliable narrative. We're, we're getting their version of things. So when we saw uh, they might be giants a long time ago, I believe it. Prospect Park for free. Mm. It was one of the first shows Good park. that my then girlfriend came to. And after the show, which she enjoyed very much, she asked me, she said, am I the only bee in your bonnet? Oh my God. And I have to say it was very touching and it made me really uh, happy. <laughs> <laughs> That's a beautiful story. And I said, yes. And she still is. Wow. So it is a positive thing then. She still stings my head. <laughs> <laughs> um before we get to like the first verse, which is what terrifying thing <laughs> we to didn't say, get to the first verse. Um, I wanted to talk about something re- really interesting with the song, which is like the the drums, because I, I thought this was an interesting anecdote from Linnell. The old reverso drums. So, the, the drums in this song are like a strange pattern, right? Yeah. It's not They're snare kick, not kick snare. Snare kick. Yeah. Wait. So it's like. Instead of yes, yes, right, yeah. But what's interesting is so Linnell had said in an interview that he started to have like second thoughts about that, and he he made a new demo of the song where he, you know, quote fixed unquote the drums to be a normal rock song, and the producer I think it was Clive or or Alan said, "Oh, you ruined it." Yeah, yeah. That's really interesting to me. But the one way that you could actually kind of hear that is their Tonight Show appearance mm-hmm. of that song the drummer kind of it's hard to tell because it's such a noisy version yeah. of that song Yeah, it was with the full tonight show band yeah um but the the drummer kind of is doing it that way i think at times one of the strangest like moments of our professional career was was you know we're working with ed chauncey who's like a very famous drummer in the doc severinson band and you know he played on a lot of records you know he played on johnny ray records you know it's just, mm-hmm. it's, you know it's been around and uh um the weird thing about Birdhouse is that it's got a the beat is kind of backwards compared to a lot of other songs. Just like there's kind of a strange, it's got an unusual beat. We started playing the song and and he clearly had not like there was there was no reference point. He was just kind of playing. Yeah. And uh, um, you know we sort of you know stopped and very politely you know said to Doc like, you know it's kind of doesn't quite go like that. And then Doc you know as all band leaders do just basically like started screaming at Ed Shaughnessy. And uh, then, um, you know, like, you know, come on, man, and, you know, get it together. And, and Ed Shaughnessy said, I'm playing the rock beat. <laughs> uh, at which point we realized that there was a reason why the, the booker didn't want us to play with the Tonight Show band. Like, no, we had, we had requested to play with the band, which oh, no, did no, nobody had ever, you know, they were just like, you know, you're the first band that's ever want, you know, sometimes we force people to play with them. But, <laughs> but you know, it's like they're such a swing band and not a rock band. It was just, it was just kind of a clash of cultures. Please 
switch who watches over you Make a little birdhouse in your soul Not to be too fine a boy Now they say I may only be in your body Make a little birdhouse in your soul One thing musically that I don't understand about this song is it says that, you know, so Mark Feldman is a violinist and, and he's he's prominently featured in Istanbul. So sure. I'm, I'm going to get yeah. to him a little later, but it says that he plays violin in Birdhouse. And I, for the life of me, do not hear a violin. Do you hear a violin? No, I've anywhere? never heard a violin in that song. I hear everything sounds like synths and, mm-hmm. you know, stuff like that. The only thing I can think of is that it's buried underneath there going like, din, 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 din. like a percussive sound. The other thing that's weird is it's like we're for, we want to rock. He's on that song. And for yeah. Istanbul, the, they have a violinist, they put it up front and mm-hmm. it's really changes the sound of the song. But for him to be credited, you know, I'm holding the liner notes. Listen to that. I believe you. I'm holding the liner notes right now. It says, you know, violin on tracks two, four, and nine, Mark Feldman. Are you sure track two is Birdhouse? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Just making I am. sure. So that's really strange. Has anyone, I, I wouldn't mind an email. So our email is don'tletstartpodcast at gmail.com. Perfect segue. Feel free to give us your thoughts about, about this album, but, but please tell us if, uh, do you hear a violin in Birdhouse? Or just at any time? Do you hear violins when you're yeah. walking? This might be a side effect of Cymbalta. <laughs> I have a secret to tell from my electrical well. It's a simple message and I'm leaving out the whistles and bells So the room must listen to me, filibuster vigilantly My name is Blue Canary, one note spelled L-I-T-E My story's infinite, like the Longine Symphony it's a simple message, and I'm leaving out the whistles and bells. Well, that I think sense. that's a funny line, leaving out the whistle, whistles and bells on some of the most like overproduced music that they've right. ever made in their career with this this album. Especially, the, I know that they said this song in particular was like a huge, yeah, took it was up like a, most of the budget. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's kind of funny, probably not intended at all. But it does go lyrically with what you were talking about before about the tentative. Uh, yeah. So this this narrator, this narrator needs this nightlight is is trying to say, don't freak out about the stuff I'm about to tell you. It's like simple. It's easy to understand. Which again, there is an irony there with John Linnell's lyrics, because he's he's really leaving in all the whistles and bells in his lyrical style. He's going all over the place. Like the next line. So so the room must listen to me. By the way, this that line really does make me think of like a Pixarish Toy Storyish. <laughs> like it's not just the nightlight that has consciousness yeah. in the room. It's like all the, maybe the stuffed animals or all that stuff. I don't know if that's the intention there or if he's just saying the room as in like, I don't know, the, the space. I mean, it could just be a concert hall or something too. I mean, it could be any room. Yeah, I mean, that's interesting too. He's like a imagining himself in yeah. <laughs> Um Listen up, people. What I don't get is filibuster vigilantly because... So mm-hmm. f- filibuster, I mean, one thing Linnell has said in that Rolling Stone interview that some of the lines he wrote trying to like, he, that he wrote the melody way before the album came out and that, some, you know, he was trying to squeeze words in. But I, I also don't think that they're careless at all with, with the you know, with their lyrics. And I don't think they're going to throw in things that don't. We talked about that where he really tries to line up the syllables mm-hmm. with the music he carefully. Said that in the and then book. if it's, yes, exactly. And then if it's meaningful also, it's like a one-two punch. Yeah, yeah. You know? Filibuster vigilantly is like one of those strange moments because to, to filibuster means you're like. Holding things up. You're, yeah, you're holding yeah. things up. You're kind of taking center stage and maybe he's seeing himself as that, but it sounds like he's telling mm-hmm. the room to filibuster vigilantly. 
the room must listen to me filibuster vigilant. Oh no, he's saying the room must listen to me do this. Oh my God, wait, I think I just got it. <laughs> no, this just happened in real time. I always thought he was saying the room. So it's a continuation from the previous yes, sentence, like who watches, who watches over you. Okay, so yeah. No, but I, I took it the way you did too, where yeah. it's two separate thoughts. It's, so maybe that's sort of running through the whole song. The lyrics have a flow to them in a An strange way that I've never seen in a song. And I don't know if this just kind of happened. So it's gonna. it should read, the room must listen to me filibuster vigilantly. Not the room must I, listen see, to me. The way you emphasized yeah. which syllables, exactly. I've never thought of it that way. This is amazing. But I think you could take it the other way too. If I may be so bold. The room must listen to me, so I have this, whatever, love, affection I have to yeah. profess. And then the room will decide if they will accept it or not. And they will oh, have a oh, conference Oh, I really it. like that. So he's saying, like, feel free to challenge. Exactly. Oh, that's funny. So you can kind of do it, it both It could ways. be both ways. I do like this new way that I've never thought of. He's, <laughs> he's sort of self-deprecating. He's saying, like, I'm wasting. I'm, he's like, I'm not trying to waste all of your time but i'm i kind of am and i'm sorry but i'm just gonna do this i'm just gonna sing yeah. my he's like i'm gonna sing my song here about wanting to protect this little timmy this key, little timmy little timmy tmbg then he goes my name is blue canary one note spelled l-i-t dave do you have a theory on that because i always thought that was kind of confusing one note i don't get that like a musical note uh, that's what i assume so but saying, none of those except e are musical okay. notes i'm getting wait it's happening again so he's saying his his secret to tell is a simple message leaving out whistles and bells, mm -hmm. meaning it's like a musical secret. So he's he's acknowledging that he's singing a song, actually, which I've never thought about before. So the narrator of the song, it's almost like in a musical. Like so he's aware that he's singing. So he's saying maybe he's saying if, if he had a name, it'd be like a note. It'd be one simple note. Because he's saying it's a simple message. So he's like, it's just one note. Don't worry. So I, I think I finally am understanding this. But how is the note spelled? L I T. Light. Yeah. I don't. It's it's a strange way of saying yeah. that he's a that he's an, a light. And by the way, I keep saying he. I'm just. It's it's an object that has no. <laughs> but whatever. We've just, established it's a he with a big penis. <laughs> yeah. My story's infinite, like the Longine Symphonet. Now what's that, Jordan? Okay, <laughs> this was kind of annoying to look up because it was like confusing. I never bothered. So Longines is like a, a watch brand that also had a radio show. Hello again, this is Jack Benny welcoming you on behalf of the Longines Symphonet for a warm visit to a magic world and to a golden treasure chest of memory, entertainment, excitement, drama, and world history. Yep. We are going to explore the world of Golden Radio. I'd like to help you enjoy again those nostalgic moments when the family gathered together in the living room to share the make-believe world of radio. Longing and Symphonet, it was a pre-recorded, maybe Dave, you should know about this. They, it was a classical music radio show. <laughs> and I'm the expert. <laughs> and it seems to have been sponsored by this... This Longine watch, cigarettes. Longine watch Company. So it's kind of like convoluted a little mm -hmm. bit. So Because I was trying to find it out. And I was like, wait, which is, what is it? A, is it music? Is it a watch? Do you wear it? Do you, <laughs> do you sit on it? You put it on your head? Linnell claims it was a random reference um, and that he just liked the, the Pretty random reference. Yeah. Yeah. Just pop that one out of... No, that's what I think is funny about his songwriting style. Is and his that references. His, his reference points are so obtuse and yeah they're and they're not maybe they were at a time in pop culture but but like 50 years ago you know for the longest time before i bothered to look up what the mm. lyrics were i just thought he was saying like the laundry it's infinite 
Isn't that true, folks? You always have. Yeah. You hear what I'm and saying? Now it's Dave's like uh, open mic stand-up. <laughs> you ever notice the laundry just never ends? I thought it's a good line. Pretty good misheard lyric. Always like in Seinfeld when George says he was, he wants 365 pairs yeah. of underwear. <laughs> I've thought about that a lot in my life. But yeah, so I don't know if it, there is like a literal sense between my story is my story's infinite, like the Longines infinite. It doesn't rest, but there is this kind of like we said, like an operatic quality mm-hmm. to saying like this, like never ending symphony that you know, like it. There is this like there's like a beauty to an orchestra playing a symphony. You know, there's like a um a majestic quality. And this also ties in with like theme from flood. You right. know, it's like, there's this quality to it that he's kind of in, in invoking like the laundry. It's infinite. I have to say one of my favorite things about they might be giants as a band. And it's, it's reflected very well in, in birdhouse is when, when Linnell has a song and Flansburg writes like a, cool guitar line sure very yeah. deceptively simple guitar line because they're not he's not shredding or anything mm-hmm. but it's just like the you know the chorus for the song flansburg's guitar is going like those descending notes yeah and it just it it's it's so simple but it's just sort of his style in a lot of stuff yeah well so i've talked about this before like when weird al did his parody of the giants like it has that right and then that's how like distinct it is those passing tones man who watches over you make a little birdhouse in your soul not to put too fine a pine on it say i'm the only bee in your bonnet make a little birdhouse in your soul i think we should talk about the the bridge uh a bit you know that bridge reminds me of the room filibustering vigilant oh my god i thought the same thing me and dave just like oh, look wow. we just like listened to the bridge yeah. to refresh ourselves and we the, kissed all these <laughs> these like samples of horns mm-hmm. i believe it's frank london on trumpet uh doing but it's samples nice. of frank london so i don't know if he was there it's mm-hmm. a little confusing the production of this album is strange there's like real drums that are also fake drums there's like so it's like frank it's like a closet in a closet so it's <laughs> so it's like frank london was on trumpet but it's like there's samples of him on trumpet so it's like but if you had him there but then no, it's, don't look at me <laughs> but then it's like our questions that we asked a lot for the first time was just like was it supposed to sound fake because if he's mm-hmm. there and you're getting samples from him. So yeah, the, the idea of that is just like all, it's like all these things around your ears honking. <laughs> and the, because right. of the music video, which by the way, we're gonna discuss the music videos in the, in the future. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, that's like a whole, that's a whole episode I think would be it's fun to do. a whole other bowl of soup. But because it's portrayed as Flansburg honking a mm-hmm. horn, I don't know if that was the intention for the recording for it to sound sure. like a car horn. Because now I can't separate it sure, in my sure. mind, so I don't even know anymore. It, I mean, it just sounds like a, a cacophony. It's, yeah, and or it's a traffic jam. Yeah, it does. It's all jammed up, man. And it is interesting for for such like this pop single to have a bridge that's pretty, it's pretty weird. It's like kind of, I I don't know if atonal is the word, but it's not like a catchy, like fun part, you know, it's kind of like just things going like, (laughs) (laughs) my version of Birdhouse should (laughs) top the charts, I think. So then we have the, 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 the real bridge where he sings, I'm, I'm your only friend again. And Why is that the real bridge? <laughs> I guess the whole, it's one bridge. It's like a middle, yeah. middle 16. I don't know. Sure. 
Yeah. No one correct me, please. <laughs> but, um, and this actually, the way he sings that is kind of what I was trying to talk about with the flat singing style. Mm-hmm. On this. It's like when I think about like Don't Let's Start or even Anna Ng or other songs, it's like his voice, it's like he's projecting more. But for Birdhouse, it's like, I don't know. I don't know if it's the difference restrained. between like chest voice and head voice. Mm. And and honestly, if someone knows what I'm talking about, you you can email me. Um, because it's like there's it's like his voice on a lot of this album, especially this song, is coming from like a different place in his head, his skull. It's like because it's like I'm your only friend, rather than like don't 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 listen. Sure. Maybe it's a little more. I apologize, in, uh, people. Not in advance. I apologize. Post. Yeah. I apologize. Currently. Yes. I'm not actually your friend, but I am. There's a picture opposite me of my primitive ancestry. Which stood on rocky shores and kept the beaches shipwreck free. Though I respect that a lot, I'd be fired if that were my job. After killing Jason off and countless screaming Argonauts, new bird of friendliness, like guardian angels, it's always near. Yeah, maybe it's a little more restrained so you can focus on, you know, the notes. That's something we talked <laughs> about before, where, uh, I mean, that was something like when I was doing my album. Certain, uh, the engineer was saying for certain songs, like, all right, don't go for emotion, go for like technique on this one. So the whole album, all of Flood sounds like that to me with the vocals. And again, it's like, yeah. They I all, never thought about yeah, it. Yeah, the, the other albums, at least let's talk about just from to this point. Um, it's like the singing is really like wild. And yeah. then on Flood, a lot of, and I don't know if this is, it's weird. It, it almost seems like it's pressure from being in like an expensive studio. I was going to say, maybe that's big label uh, yeah. squeezing them out. But it's like, there is like a tone. That's the term, There's right? a tone to the singing, especially like a, like I said for Linnell, um, it feels like this kind of very measured. And also, like I said, this yeah. song has a lot of voc- layered vocals. And that's something that you don't hear from them too much at that point, uh, until that point. You know, because they didn't have the tracks to do a bunch. When there's a layered vocal, it's usually a harmony. Mm -hmm. It's usually one of either of them on top of them doing a harmony. But on Birdhouse, you've got like a lot of them. Mm -hmm. Let's go into just the second verse because this this second verse reflects more of the themes we've talked about. This is a good example of him like he's not telling you directly the thing. He's telling it to you as directly as possible for a John Linnell lyric Mm -hmm. in 1990, which is he's clearly describing a, a lighthouse but he's not like saying the word lighthouse do you know mm-hmm. what i'm you know what i mean these are some of my favorite lyrics so it's like this is something that actually really fascinates me because like you could have someone be like well why not just say a light a picture of a lighthouse mm-hmm. why say there's a picture opposite me of my primitive answer sheet which stood on rocky shores because like you're not fooling anyone we know you're talking about a lighthouse jack sure. you know <laughs> but then why not say lighthouse and i guess you can have different theories about that. Like it's like he wants your brain to put the pieces together, but part of the idea is that the neuroses of the character is to over-explain things, right? right. Like the character keeps emphasis. The character in the song keeps trying to assure the the child, if it is a child, yeah. keeps trying to assure them that they're, that they're going to keep it simple, and then they sure, don't. Yeah. Then they convolute things. And it's you know it's more interesting too. Just to, yeah. No, I mean, well, no. There's to, well, there's a lot of reasons to make lyrics like that. I mean, to talk around things instead of just saying things. It's painting a more vivid picture, which is 
why it's part of my favorite lyrics because you really start imagining the seriousness of the job. Yes. So the, yeah. So the idea is that this this verse is all about his insecurity at how yeah. like tiny he is, because he's saying if 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 there was a nightlight in a lighthouse, he'd be responsible for like the deaths of of all these people. And it also puts it in this strange, huge historical context. Yeah. That like this has been going on for you know thousands of years and love and everything has flourished. So the idea of, of saying it's like your primitive ancestry is like saying there's like this tradition of lights protecting people, right? And he's like acknowledging yes. that. And he's like, he wants to be one in that line, that family line. Yes, of exactly. Like, I'm going to protect as Part well as- Part of that noble pursuit. He's like, I'm going to protect as well as like Grandpa Lighthouse. Right. <laughs> Back protect in the day. The Timmy TMBG. <laughs> but, you know, but because I'm like a little night, like all I can really do is protect this one- child in this room and yeah. to me and he, but it's like that's good enough though you know so it's there's something so mm -hmm. moving again like it's so touching to be like you know it's almost like oh my grandpa was in world war ii and now i'm gonna like protest or whatever the hell mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it's like you want to think that you're like continuing this like proud tradition yes, and carrying on the legacy but it's like sometimes you're just like a little wiener they're like it's like a smaller <laughs> scale so it's if you, it's like there's a lot of psychological stuff happening in this one verse. And I just like that it's zooming out and really creating a mythology. Dave, do you want to tell the listeners a little bit about Linnell's referencing of Jason and the Argonauts? I mean, I, you know, not off the top of my head. I don't know much, but I, he was a adventurer off to find the Golden Fleece. Yes. In Greek mythology. And uh, he battled uh, Medusa. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, the rest is, they say, is history. <laughs> I, it is funny. I watched this. I watched a clip from the movie. There's oh, a, it's a great 1963 movie. Jason Ray and the, Yeah, um, Jason and the Argonauts movie. There is a clip where they're trying to like go in. They're in a rocky shore. Yeah, and there's like the the rocks are falling on the ship, and it's like there's Poseidon comes out and like grabs the. It's crazy looking. Yeah, yeah. It's insane. That's a goodie. Why do you think Linnell is using that as a frame of reference for this? Do you think it's just the, the, hmm. the scope of it? It's like this little nightlight is comparing, he's either envisioning himself or comparing himself to this like, these like a mythological, yeah, yeah. like not the Odyssey, but like an Odyssey that <laughs> like, that's where that word comes from. Um, <laughs> like, you know, he's, he's, he's comparing his quest of protecting this child with like the, this like epic story. Cause Jason the Argonauts is like an epic story well i mean i wonder how many real you know like you said odysseys can you really choose from that would be well known and in the cultural zeitgeist and maybe he just had the movie on his brain as a lot of the other references we've talked about in past episodes another reference then he says bluebird of friendliness which i never knew until the wiki actually made this reference clear so there is a, a phrase called bluebird of happiness mm -hmm. it's like a symbolic thing about just that a bluebird like like it's a good omen or whatever, right? He's toning it back a little bit. <laughs> Not happiness, but I'll be friendly. Yeah, yeah, bluebird of friend. That's funny. Yeah. Bluebird of friendliness, like guardian angels, it's always near. Like, see, I love lines like that because it's not... It's not overtly clever, but it's just like super sweet. Yeah. So yeah, saying bluebird of, of friendliness, besides being like a play on bluebird of happiness, it's like, yeah, he's not saying like, I'm going to solve all your problems, but he's saying like, I'm there when you need me, you know, which is again, like just yeah. a sweet, yeah. gentle, the song, so like the, the song. The expectations is, are measured. <laughs> it's like a gentle song about gentleness. And it's also <laughs> about like being insecure about how gentle you are or aren't. It's like so interesting. It's such an interesting like. But it's oddly about responsibility too. Yeah. Yeah. There's that too. 
that too. And that's that's why I like that verse so much is because that's where it, it really puts that in the context of. You want to live up to your responsibility and you want to like, you know, be thought of as like a hero in the future. Like in the future, you want to be looked yes. back on as yes. like some sort of hero who really. That's what we all want, folks. And the, you could look at the song as, as like almost a tragic if you want to, that he's just a nightlight. And just he, a he, stupid little nightlight. <laughs> He doesn't, Dave is such a bully. Um, he's like, yes, that's how everyone would characterize me. Just that like, he doesn't know if he can do it, but in a way you could all, you could also choose to look at the song as optimistic. Like he will do it. He will protect this, this kid. Well, it's weird because we we're talking about protecting the kid, but then we also made it about affection just in at large. In well, general. I, so I, I think it's like a, it, it's I, both everything. it's a love song yeah. in, in the most like, non-cliche use of the word love. Like a love song is yeah. just like, like I love brotherly you. love. Or like, or, or sisterly. there's a par- parental kind of love yeah. there. There's, there's a great, um, there's this great David Lowry song. David Lowry is a guy from Camper Van Beethoven mm-hmm. and Cracker. I'm glad um, you told me that because I didn't know that. <laughs> he's, um, so he has a solo album that's amazing, by the way, unrelated thing, really great album. But there's a song on it called The Palace Guards. Mm-hmm. And here we go. What's weird is <laughs> he's not said this is what it's about, but I knew someone who said, I think that song's about being a parent. And the lines in the song are just saying like the palace yeah. guards are looking out for you. And there's the whole, the whole end of the song is, is saying like, I work my fingers to the bone hmm. to like bring the bacon home and blah, blah, blah. And, and then he goes like, I tear my heart out every day for you. It's like a really moving. Hmm. And he just keeps screaming it like, I do that for you, Jordan. He goes like, I rip my heart out every day for you. And it's called the palace guards. It's about like the people who are guarding the house that everyone right. lives in. And it's like, it is about being a parent though. Again, he's not said, he said it's about a different thing <laughs> that's really weirder. <laughs> so I don't even know if it's conscious on his level, but it kind of reminds me of that. Just the idea that like the nightlight is part parental, but I think also the nightlight is a little bit, it's almost like the child is the, the adult in the thing. Cause he's just like, please love me and approve mm-hmm. of me. So there's a lot of mixed things going at once, which again, reflects the bridge that I'm your only friend. I'm not your only friend. There's contradictions. There's, I think we're all the nightlight, you know? Yeah. That's really all we should Little have said. Little nightlight in all of us. Yeah. And the, the, really the only other lyric left, which I love, cause it's, it's like the closet in the closet is he goes, while you're at it, leave the nightlight on inside the birdhouse in your soul. Make a little birdhouse in your soul While you're at it Leave the nightlight on inside the birdhouse in your soul Not to put too fine a point on it Say I'm the only being you're bunny Not only am, do I want you to keep me in your heart, but keep that part of me in your heart protected by some Something else. By your own, like, I'll protect you, you'll protect me. Hmm. 50-50. <laughs> you get what you give. Give it all? You get a little. Yeah. <laughs> So, but, but that line is like very beautiful to say while you're at it. It's also funny. Like there's yeah. an irony to it. You know what? Do this too. I really do love, uh, as the song is, is coming to its conclusion. And like we said, it's very theatrical. Like the, the, the vocals on top of each other, the two different phrasings. I don't even know at this point if it's a chorus or a post-chorus mm-hmm. or a pre-chorus, but the two things are on top of each other and it's like really majestic. And I, I've, I've heard Linnell say like that was the producer's idea, I think, and how it was very like something that they, I don't know, that they hadn't thought of or wouldn't have thought of because it's just so like, there's something ambitious about this whole, yeah. the it's, whole song. It's like making it a single right there. Yeah. And it's weird. I mean, is it even, is it like, 
ethically okay to like <laughs> force a song to be a single, but I I, th- I see it as more. It's just they see the potential in it. I think know. just some songs speak to you and say, "I'm a single." Yeah, I mean, what if they? I am special. What if they did this much for like I don't know, like Hacha? <laughs> It'd be like, what if they spent like <laughs> three months on it? You know, but it's like, why would you? Because it's like it, it is what it is. I don't know. It is weird. Like there are there there like you said, there is a hierarchy. There are songs that are just like this song is special. We talked about that recently, where I I said uh, in reference to trying to plan a new album, I'm like, this is going to be a track number two, and you knew exactly what I was talking no, about. No, I know. It's you're we- like not a bad song, but it's just sort of a bridge. And yeah, if that's how you. F- sequence your album because the sure. album i'm working on track one is more like the the intro-ish song and yeah. track two is the big best song on sure. the album which is sort of what flood is like too right no this would be like track one the single track two let's get on to <laughs> let's continue the flow but yeah 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 not as bombastic as track track one. three is like look better luck next time track four <laughs> is track four is what are you gonna do I don't want to get too much into like the live life of this song because it's just like it's a huge thing. But I do want to say as a as like an introverted uh, dorky guy who never hey, went to Jordan, no, who no, who never went to uh, many social events. It was very um, uh, it was a huge thing in my life to when I'm like 16, you know, 15, 16 going to it. They might be giant show. And it's honestly like, it really is kind of like baby's first concert, <laughs> you know, because before that I had seen a few shows with like my parents. I have never seen a concert with my parents. Just putting that I mean, out like there. as a Besides, little kid. Just, just the operas. Do you want to know That's the bands weird. I'm talking about? That your parent that you saw with your parents? I saw the monkeys when I was oh, a little well, that's kid. Cool. <laughs> and Weird Al. So those were like the two kind they were sick. My guess would have been Tom Petty. Yeah. Do you want to hear a story about this kind of is TMBG-ish, but it, with the monkeys, me and my family and my sister, we watched the sixties monkeys. Yeah, yeah. You have a whole monkeys thing that I never had. Yeah. But so when we're like, hey, we're going to see the monkeys live and it's like nineteen eighty eight or whatever or 1990, as a child, I did not know that the show was from like 30 years yeah, earlier. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that, that makes so sense. So when they came out on stage and they You're were like, who are these old, mummies? <laughs> I was incredibly Crying. disturbed. <laughs> like I was actually really upset because I didn't, it, it's as yeah. if they aged before my eyes because I really didn't know that the show was from the past. Wow. So to see them Pretty come dumb out- kid, huh? To see them come out and like, especially like Davy Jones looked like a different person. Like I couldn't mm. even see how it was the same person. Some, some like Mickey Dolan's and Peter Torque kind of looked similar, but a little like different. But I was just like, I was like not happy. <laughs> and it was this, the first time I realized that people got older. Yeah. So there you go. That's sad. <laughs> but so, but then, so then when I'm 15 and 16 and, and going to see them might be giants for the first time, it was like a cathartic, uh, strange exciting thing when they start playing birdhouse because i it was my first time hearing it live and what i didn't understand was the feeling in my legs like i had to bounce around and jump called dancing (laughs) i was kind of like everyone around me started hopping yeah it's called pogoing and i was like actually so when they do it live it's even more that that feeling of the drums going that beat yeah makes you pogo in the punk circles it's called pogoing 
So I was like hopping up and down and, yeah. and it was very like, oh my God, is this what it's like to like feel alive and free and maybe and happy? <laughs> and that's kind of how, how I also think about the song is, is like I associate yeah, it with sure. kind of having an extroverted moment for once in my life. It's a little bit of a release. It's a yeah. it's a freedom. It's which, a freedom to be a normal person for once. Which is is honestly strange because like when me and you have seen them in the past like few years, I I don't do that with Birdhouse because it's I, yeah. I feel like I've gotten more. In some ways, I'm more introverted than when I was mm. like 16, and in some ways, I'm a little. I don't know. It's not that I'm not passionate. I obviously like listen to this show. I can rant passionately for two hours about a mm-hmm. song, but it's more just like I I feel. I guess like as I've grown taller and older, I feel awkward moving more. You're a little more reserved <laughs> it's as like you get just, older, that's all. Yeah, I guess, yeah, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to make it sad. <laughs> I mean, I recently saw Bad Religion with my wife and I, we were in the front because she insisted. Yeah. <laughs> and I was a little worried. I was like, you know, it's going to be like a pit and it's going to get pretty crazy. But um, yeah, I mean, I was back in the pit like I was however many 10 years ago whatever yeah, 15 yeah. years ago and i mean it was great i i definitely don't um like you said probably don't move the same anymore <laughs> yeah but um I, I don't know i think that exuberance is always within you jordan i think it's been within you all along <laughs> but see like I, I guess what i mean is is like even when i listen to the album version i think i think of hopping <laughs> i think of i think of that feeling the song gives me because it's it is one of their more like like I said, if you choose to think of the song as this like beautiful, sincere, optimistic, uh, touching song, it's really one of their only songs like that. And maybe arguably their only song like that. Um, probably yeah. maybe well, she's not an angel. Yeah. But even that there's like a sadness. That's true. Uh, yeah. I mean, we talked Forget like, about that. If, if you're a new listener, I want to stress again, check out our older, uh, episodes. Cause I, I, I quite like our discussion on she's an angel and the idea of if they're how sincere they are and their their lyrics and the love songs and if and angels stuff. are real, yeah, yeah, we do a whole investigation. Yeah, turns out they're not. You should check. It's going to be on Sci Fi Channel. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but um, so yeah, so Birdhouse makes me think of kind of feeling free and and alive uh, back in the day, and uh, we we look for those moments where we can. And you know what? We're free and alive right now to to wrap this show up. Yeah. Um, we're not going to discuss the other songs on Flood because they suck. No, yeah. just kidding. Um, Fake out. Tune in next episode. Yes. We're going we're gonna to pump these Flood episodes out, uh, you know, I think in Post good, good su- succession. But we had to dedicate at least an episode to Birdhousing Your Soul, mm-hmm. much in the same fashion as Lincoln and Anna Ng, because it is such an important song to TMBG yeah. lore. And I, I do, I feel towards the song the way the nightlight feels towards the child. <laughs> I feel like I just, I, I love this song. Mm-hmm. I feel like emotional about it, that yeah. it's hard to express, even though, I mean, maybe people will say I did, you know, express. Yeah. But even after just talking about it now, I'm still like, I still didn't really scratch the surface of, of the, all the what? things I think about this I song. I think that's okay, Jordan. Maybe you never really can articulate maybe you 100% were... how you feel. Yeah. That's maybe, the mystery. Yes. And I, I do like about They Want Me Giant songs that they 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 capture these psychological things in, in, inside of us that are hard to say, that are hard to express. So if you want to reach out to us, again, the email address is don't let's start podcast 
at gmail.com. We have a Twitter at Don't Let's Pod. And our Twitter, I, I post stuff when we've got a new episode out. There's a lot of content on the Twitter and it's very fun. It's also a way to reach out to us if you want. And you can also like and rate us on iTunes. Give us the old five-star Shinola. Yeah, we we appreciate that a lot. Uh, there's been a good handful of them recently, and it yeah. really uh, brightens my day. We're brightens just, uh, my dark day. <laughs> we're breaking through the roof there, so keep them coming, folks. So yeah, and just to, to give you a little idea, the the next episodes we're we're gonna go into the rest of the flood. Rest of I'm flood. really excited to talk about stuff like Lucky Ball and Chain and me too. And all stuff, and we're gonna tackle uh, you know Particle Man and Istanbul. Not gonna talk about Particle Man or Istanbul. No, we're we're gonna skip those yeah. because those are it's in... all about minimum wage. <laughs> and uh, I want to say goodbye to Dave. Bye, Jordan. I'm gonna jump out your window. Gonna, yeah, um, yeah. Don't don't disturb my girlfriend in the other room. So I'll, I'll, if you can sneak out the, well, the fire escapes in the kitchen. But if you can just kind of climb, just jump out six floors. I had a weird daydream the other day of like, could I jump? Could I use no. people's air conditioners to climb down the building? Do you think about stuff like this? I think about <laughs> stuff like this a lot. I think about ways I could escape a place uh, oh, quite often. I'd like to see that. Hey, Jordan. So uh, uh, what? Yeah, we got to get going. But oh. I just wanted to say before we go, uh, oh, uh, I'm not actually your friend. Hey, but I am. Ah, I'm your only friend. I'm not your yeah. only friend. Yeah, 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 and you say not to put too fine a point on it Say I'm the only bee in your bonnet Make a little birdhouse in your soul I have a secret to tell From my electrical well It's a simple message And I'm leaving out the whistles and bells So the room must listen to me Filibuster vigilantly